0: Hello and welcome to the, uh, February 28th. This is the last lesson of the winter quarter. So we've made it, uh, next week we'll be, um, talk or we'll be in the spring, uh, edition of the encounter and Becky will be our writer to begin the 1st of March. Um, but we're not there yet. We're going to focus on February 28th It's Luke 13, repent or perish. Before we get into this, uh, lesson, wanted to take some time to, um, kind of uplift the, uh um, Cumberland Road podcast from T.J. Malinowski and the Missions ministry team. I think um, Tara Cisco was the last uh, guest on there. And so join or you can get that podcast on any of the major uh, podcast websites, Spotify, Pandora, um, Transistor, however you can find it. Uh, just look up the Cumberland Road with T.J. Malinowski. Also wanted to say it's not too late to join in on the YAP app with the rest of the denomination. Uh, that's a lent devotional series kind of starts with the scripture in the morning and just a reflection question we also have on sundays a video devotion that kind of sets the tone for the week and that's done by reverend becky so make sure you join in on that and then logan you want to tell them about the monday morgan morning megaphone
1: Yes, every Monday we, we have a new episode on the Monday Morning Megaphone. Uh, you can find it on any podcast app, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple, wherever you, wherever you get your podcasts, just look for the Monday Morning Megaphone. Uh, on the most recent episode, I had our own Chris Fleming as a guest, and we talked about uh, his, his experience uh, in 12 to 13 years in the pastor at the same church and talked about some of the lessons he's learned. Uh, we've had Maverick Whitlow on to talk about iconography and, and uh, some of the some of the uh, practices surrounding Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, so be sure to check out those episodes on the Monday morning megaphone.
0: And Reverend Bezardi, I see that welcome here mm-hmm. your
2: porch sign. That's right. <laughs> every Monday and Friday, you can join me on my YouTube channel. Just look for Rebecca Zardi that's Z-A-H-R-T-E, and you can join me for our bi-weekly devotional. Welcome back to my porch.
0: All right. Well, good to be with y'all again. Let's start out with this prayer for illumination, and then we will introduce the memory verse. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, and in our believing, also in our living. Amen. And then our Man. verses, Luke chapter 13, verse 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Ominous. Ominous. But um, yeah, it gets to the point of our. One language. of my favorite verses. <laughs> it's temperaments, you know, different temperaments like different memory verses. Some That's people right. like, for God so loved the world, but hey, you know, <laughs> you know scripture speaks
2: there. Logan's all about. <laughs> repent or perish <laughs>
0: uh, <it's the> <laughs> um all right so in our introduction Becky lead us tell us what you were going for I like the introduction
2: you know we have in our Western culture this this image of who Jesus is and all too often it's the hippie Jesus you know peace love everything and we forget that there is another side to Jesus. And this scripture really shows us the other side, the side that Logan likes, that repent or perish side that he really appreciates. And that's what we're gonna see through our scripture today as we do our our study um, and dive into it, is, is that Jesus means business. Yes, he is about love, but there's also that part of him that you have a choice and the choice is yours. And, and if you don't choose this, here's the consequences. And that's what we're going to see in today's scripture. Yeah.
0: I like, uh, so a long time ago, a guy named J.B. Phillips, he also, he wrote like the Phillips New Testament translation. It was more of a kind of like the, the messages today, but it was okay. kind of his kind of transliterate or not a transliteration. Anyway, it was interpretive, but he also wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And he said a lot of times what happens in the churches is that people focus on this certain image of God, whatever it may be—hippie Jesus or like God on the throne throwing mm-hmm. thunderbolt Jesus—I think he calls that policeman Jesus or something like that. But he uh, he expounds on all the different misconceptions of God, and the problem is, is that if you have a misconception of someone, it's hard to have a true relationship with someone, right? Like, yes. uh, like when you're married. Like I don't know. I've done premarital counseling, you know, and and uh, or not premarital counseling, but marital counseling, and, and a spouse would say didn't think this was what this person was like. Like, I didn't know this side of that person or whatnot. And that gets scary, right? And it inhibits a relationship.
1: Well, and one thing I would, I would say is that we have a really big problem in our culture, particularly with an evangelical Christianity, where we, we try to create this false dichotomy and say, well, Christianity is a relationship. It's not a religion. And that's not true. And that doesn't work because what we do is we say because whenever you start that line of thinking that Christianity is a relationship and not a religion, what you do is you quickly move into the mindset that oh I don't need that theology and doctrine stuff. I just want to I just want to know Jesus, and then you start saying things like well I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus, That's- and that doesn't. Yeah, that and that doesn't work either because think about it this way. If I were to say to my wife, Brittany, I I don't just want to know about you, I want to know you. First of all, that's creepy. (laughs) Secondly, that doesn't work because I have to know about my wife if I'm gonna love her properly. If I like, let's let's think about the five love languages, for example. (laughs) If my wife uh likes physical affection if she likes the hand holding and the in the hugs and stuff like that then me constantly giving her gifts without doing the hand holding and the hugging isn't really going to do anything for her and i'm and i can't love her properly so if i'm going to love my wife properly i have to know who she is i have to know what she likes and doesn't like i have to know about her in order Mm -hmm. to know Mm -hmm. her Mm -hmm. And right. so whenever we start saying ridiculous things like Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, and we don't want to know about God, we want to know God, then we don't really know God. We can't really know God. What we end up knowing is a God of our own making. Right? Mm.
0: So to make and, it even more clear, I think this is important. Also, when we use those phrases, I'm not like the intent of the phrase we get, right, because God isn't just something to study. God is a personal right. being in which you can have a relationship. However, that relationship has been informed through centuries, through the Israelites, through the church, and it's handed down. So like you, when you say things like Christianity, is not just a relation or a religion, it's a relationship. You, you, and like Logan was saying, sometimes you discount the relationship that God has had with the people beginning with yes. Abraham, um, and, and so to discount that, just because we want this personal relationship, as if it's not communal as well, uh, shortcuts the Christian faith, because right, it is a faith in a context.
1: Right. right. Yes. And you were talking about uh, J.B. Phillips's book, um, Your God is Too Small. There's kind of a modernized version. Um, it was put out by Mark Driscoll about 10, 15 years ago. It's called Vintage Jesus. And each chapter of Vintage Jesus is him talking about these different images of Jesus. And he talks about the hippie Jesus that Becky mentions. He talks about the, the Republican Jesus, the white American Jesus. He talks about all the false images of Jesus that we create with our own beliefs and practices. And then he kind of narrows it down to what to what to the biblical Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So I, I highly recommend uh, Your God is Too Small by J.B. Phillips and Vintage Jesus by Mark Gristel. And you'll find links to those in the description. If Chris does his job. you yeah. will. Right. There
2: we go. There we go. Because I think that's the point of this introduction is just, we like to look at Jesus in one line of thought. Just whatever makes us comfortable is how we see Jesus. Yeah. And we forget that Jesus, just like us, we are an image, we're a reflection, and we're complex beings with, with multi-facets of our own personality. And God is the same, and we forget that. We like to just put that one little picture and forget yeah. that there's there's a whole that He's complex.
0: I think that's important when we switch to this exploring the scripture section too, and I'll get to that. But like you know, when when the people came to Jesus, they already had a preconceived notion about how everything works, and they're like, well, mm-hmm. basically they knew why something bad happened to all these people they were talking about. They just needed affirmation from Jesus, and Jesus like it doesn't work. Uh, and right. so We'll explore that a little bit more, but I, the reason why I say it so in the exploring the scripture contextual setting, you um, explore the different rulers, the political rulers with um, Pontius Pilate, and then you explore some of the Herods and the kings and tetrarchs or whatever. And and so I, I won't go too far into this, but basically you've given us a picture to where people are multifaceted. There's different understandings of who Pilate is because different people had different experiences and so on. And so right. we, so, I'll, so anyway, what were you going with? And, and then we'll discuss it a little
2: more. That we need to just just like God is multifaceted and Jesus is multifaceted, these people were as well. You know, it depends on where you were in your relationship to Pilate, is how you understood who he was. Some people thought he was a good ruler. Some people thought he was a terrible ruler. And the same with Herod. I'm sure the people that were in the inner circle with Herod thought he was just, you know, greater than sliced bread because they benefited from his rule and what he did. But then you look at the other people that were like, oh my gosh, he was awful. He was absolutely awful. And and history paints him as an awful ruler. but you have to look at the whole picture. You have to look at the whole thing. Um, you know, Pilate here, one of the things I wanted to point out on the bottom of page 85, Philo of Alexander, who is a Jewish philosopher, he criticized Pilate and he said um, that he states that this man's rule was plagued with briberies, insults, robberies, outrageous wanton injuries, executions without trial, constantly repeated, ceaseless and supremely grievous cruelty. Yeah how many rulers throughout history can that describe right. um you know i mean that that's a lot of people
0: um i and i people, would dare to say that might be yeah. i would actually say that that's probably most of the people who have ever risen to the king or the ruler person in yes. charge. actually uh, yes I, and it history, guarantee you if we Go ahead. Well, I, was, I was just going to say, I guarantee
1: you, if we didn't have laws in place and Congress in place to prevent such a thing, we would have presidents
0: who do the same thing. And, and do yes. as most as they possibly can. Like I have been accused in the last two, three years of just being cynical on politics because I like what you just described, what you just said. I think history repeats itself. Like, yes, with our political figures today, there are people who think that their political candidate is the greatest thing in the world. And people on the other side of that political candidate can list you 77 things that are wrong with that candidate. And then right. I'm in the middle saying both of these are
2: terrible. <laughs> yes, but, exactly.
0: But at the same time, when you look at the totality of the picture, if God is in charge, if God is, is the person or the force behind history, then every ruler is going to do Good and bad things. like Yes. Um, and and I think, I don't know. I, I just, I've felt dirty over the past, I don't know, eight years in politics. Because, and I've pretty much gotten completely out of it because I'm thinking, why are we, I mean, you can support certain things as a Christian, uh, but just to wholesale support people and platforms, I just, I can't see it. I just can't see no. the wall.
2: And no.
0: I think it has done a lot of disservice Damn to it. the church. Mm-hmm.
1: But that gets
0: me. Well, you know, it's like, let's vote for
1: this guy because he supports our platform. Let's support him. He cheats on his wife. Right. And then you look, get on the other side of that, and, and people are saying, well, let's vote for this guy because he supports this idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like. Do, do you not see what's going on here? It's the tribalization that happens and, and yes and and I I hope that we can at least see whether it's Herods or whether it's pilots, whether it's presidents mm-hmm. or whatnot, there is there is a power grab, right? That whatever yes. that power is, there is something that uh, people in power like power. I mean they like it and and mm-hmm. there's and an think,
2: old phrase chris that says power corrupts but absolute power corrupts absolutely
0: and, and i think that's true the the other thing that i think i've tried to th- deal with in my life is in the new testament church like they didn't get to vote obviously rulers were placed in front right. of them but i and, and i think that was probably the most powerful time of Christianity. And the leaders were terrible. They were much worse. And the leaders did much worse than any of our presidents have ever done, regardless Democrat, Republican, whatever. Like the, the emperors were terrible to their people. Some they were good to some, they weren't, but Christians, it didn't change their mission. Like they, they just worked and they proclaimed the word of God and they saved babies from being left out in the wilderness and they fed the hungry and, Took care yes. of people and it didn't matter yes. who was in charge.
2: No. And they faced the dangers that were in front of them. I think, um, you know, especially in this last year through the pandemic, there's been a lot of depression and a lot of people concerned about where the world is heading and where it's going. And if we look at scriptures like this and understand the historical setting in which it is placed, it, it doesn't change. You know, we just like you said, we repeat history over and over again. And they persevered then and we're going to persevere now. We're going to be, you know, we're going to face the trials and tribulations that have been placed in front of us for our time period and and we're going to come out to the other side. And we're going to have rulers that are terrible and we're going to have some rulers that are good, but we just need to keep focused on the mission that Jesus left us and left the, through the apostles, that legacy, that information that we learn of who he is, what he's about, and proclaiming the good news to the world.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Stanley Howaros has this great quote, has this great quote where he said that in spite of everything that goes on in the world politically, uh, Christians will have done well if in a hundred years we're known as people who do not kill our children or our elderly,
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, that was I saw that. Did you post that on Facebook? I probably did. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, you know, (laughs) that's that's the truth. I mean, we Christians have to stand countercultural on all sides, right? We like um, scriptures call the religious Pharisees breeds of vipers. It calls the leaders foxes, right? Mm -hmm. The political leaders foxes, and so you know just bad religion is bad religion when when bad religion is around you want to say that that bad religion is not christian a relationship with jesus christ that inspires you to do well do right bear fruit important right and so you know there's times where you're supposed to reject that religion thing if it's bad it's the blind leading the blind and then there's times where you don't sell out to any political platform either uh, because jesus christ has called us to to bear fruit, real fruit, uh, in our lives and the lives of the community. Um, Anyway, um, anything else on that one? I don't think so. All right. So then digging deeper, comparing scripture with scripture, um, what were you going for there?
2: Well, you know, Jesus was confronted with two different stories. Um, One was about the the Tower of Siloam, and the other was... uh, people that perished in the in the temple and i think you know what jesus was really getting at in his response john 9 verses 2 through three when the when the they asked him who who caused this who sinned for this man to be born blind jesus replied neither this man nor his parents sinned he was born blind so that god's work might be revealed in him and i think that's the point of what Jesus was relaying to them when he was confronted with these two stories was they weren't bad because bad things happened to them. That doesn't mean that they were, if you have all the blessings in the world, it doesn't mean you're an amazingly good person either. You know, it's, it's, it's that, that false dichotomy, but we have to remember that they lived in a culture where they viewed if something bad happened to you, it was because God was punishing you for something. Yeah. And that's a still, a think, question that we struggle with today when bad things happen to good people. Is it because God's punishing them? Uh, I know a lot of people have asked me even through COVID-19, do you think that God's punishing us because of what we've done? What we've done in the world is this is why we have this disease. I think we live in a fallen world. Right. I, and, that's, and that's the answer that I have.
0: Yeah, we've talked about that on the previous podcast. I mean, maybe, maybe not. Like, it's up to you. Like, when bad things happen, it could be because God let a bad thing happen. And it could be because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, I guess, in a sense. That's, I I don't know. I think that's part of our spirituality is to try to discern things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of our faith. Yeah.
0: Regardless of what's going on in the world,
1: we, we just need to repent, believe we'll the gospel, and forge ahead. And then, whatever, whatever happens whether it's COVID 19, whether it's an, an earthquake, whether it's a tsunami, whatever it is you know, if you can't control it, just put it in the life sucks file and move on, right? Yeah,
0: yeah and, and I think so. In, in the gospel of Luke, like we're in, a lot of times the repent part is the answer, regardless. So when yes. John the Baptist was talking to the crowds, and 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 the tax collector said, "What must I do?" You know, or the soldier said, "What must I do?" Right, and and his answer was, "Repent." Like, what's wrong in you? Repent of that. And here, uh, when these this group come up and said, "Well, what about all those who died at the temple there? Were, were they sinners? Were sinners?" And Jesus, "Oh, like, no, you need to repent. Don't worry about that. Right. <laughs> Whatever happened." And that was between them and God. But you, however, need to look at yourself, repent. Right. Mean, mm-hmm. Make sure you're right before God before you start judging others. I also think maybe see if y'all agree with this. Maybe there's some part of us inside of us that just wants to be better. And so when something bad happens to other people, it's almost a vindication of us because it didn't happen to us. So these disciples come to Jesus and they're like, Well, those people must have been terrible, right? Right. We're not because we're here talking to you, but they must have been bad. And I think there's yeah. a little bit of that in us as well. We just need that I mean, confirmation. That,
2: I think that's a really good point, Chris, because looking back, I'm not going to say now, um, but in years past, you know, especially when I was in my twenties, there were friends that I kept because they lived in worse situations than I lived. All right. And so when I went to go visit them, Repent, I always came home feeling better about myself. I'm like, well, at least I don't live like that, you know, and that's terrible, but we, we do, I think we do at some place have that, that need to just feel like, well, at least I'm not that bad, you know? Yeah.
0: I think, I did some research in Australia, they have something called, they, they termed it like tall poppy syndrome. And it's this, like, if, if somebody rises above the like norm in the society, then they have this, inward desire that they'll get cut down like right and when it happens uh-huh. there's been studies that show people around them are happy that it happened <laughs> right
2: and that's Isn't human that nature it's terrible
0: but anyway tall it poppy is. syndrome is what it was called uh, in
2: this study okay that's interesting and that's that's Amazing. true of what's what's happening here you know and in this section of the scripture because they were like well they were bad people because this terrible thing happened to them they so at least terrible. i'm not that bad
1: there's a movie it was made back in the 80s I can't think of the name of it, but it's got Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy in it but it it's like Eddie Murphy was playing as this poor guy who lived on the streets and Dan Aykroyd was this real rich guy and there were these two old men who was grooming this young rich kid played by Dan Aykroyd and they actually had a bet amongst themselves and said you know we can make or break anybody. I bet we can break this kid and make this guy on the street. And the other old guy said, I'll bet you a dollar you can't do it. And he did it. And uh, turns out, you know, Eddie Murphy became this rich guy. Dan Aykroyd became this poor dude. And uh, then they got together and they found out that the old old rich guys had been manipulating them this whole time. And uh, the tables turned. Those old rich guys wound up the ones on the street, and Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy wound up being roommates in this mansion. Um, and it, I can't can't remember the name of the movie. It's one of my I favorites too. The, yeah, I've seen. I know it. what you're
2: talking about. I've seen it, but I don't remember the name. Of but it that's either.
1: like that's like a the the a perfect example of what, what you're talking about, Chris, with that, yeah. that tall poppy syndrome. Because it's so satisfying. It's so satisfying to watch the end of the movie and see these two guys who were like at the top of their game in the stock market. Yeah. Uh, now be homeless and fighting over an, uh, an, a day-old Big Mac.
0: Yeah, and so here's the thing. On those types of that perception, like the disciples that came to Jesus and asked how bad were these people, it works only insofar as it doesn't disparage ourselves. <laughs> because if it happens to us, then obviously it's just a cross we're bearing and Jesus is going to uplift us. Everybody right. else ever deserve. it. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And that's, and that shows, I think that's where our repentance comes in. And that might be what Jesus was trying to say. Be like, look, even asking a question shows your, you know, your... Mismatch. Trading Places. That was the name of it. Trading Places? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think that's... Yeah. So anyway, I think that's where Jesus tells us to repent. Too. Uh, who, who cares what happens to other people if you're not right before God? Like, sure, it feels better that you're not focusing on yourself, but that's not necessarily, uh, that's not necessarily what it's about. Um, you also, um, brought up the fig tree in this section too, right? Um, Jesus tell, like when, when Jesus is with the disciples, he talks about a fig tree and he was basically saying this fig tree is not bearing fruit, right? And so, you're, it's a useless thing, and, and again, I think that highlights what Jesus is trying to say, like,
2: yeah, you know, and it was a, it was a good metaphor for, for them, because Israel was often referred to as the fig tree, so what we right. understand is that, that God was the landowner, that Jesus was the gardener, the tender, and that Israel was the fig tree, and what Jesus is telling them is, you, you know, you've got, you got some time, Right. because I'm tending to you, I'm, I'm working with you, but your time is not forever, you know, that year, time is limited.
0: Yeah, so I think, so that's, and, and I think when you highlight that or contrast it with like, you know, with the story of the tower killing people, falling on, nobody thinks they're going to die tomorrow, and we're going to, no. we'll talk about it, I think, a little bit more in that learning from the scripture section, but mm-hmm. the victory is good, because When the disciples come to Jesus and ask about who sinned, who was terrible, why they died, he's like, look, remember, your time's short, too. Who knows how you're going to go? Are you right before God? Are you going to repent? Are you going to bear fruit, in other words? And then he, you know, with the fig tree, he gave it more time. But if you come back Mm -hmm. and no fruits there... um. Yep. Not to exactly. get on a rabbit trail, but I do want to ask y'all a little bit of a question that has to do with this. Are there times, I think biblically, the one that comes to mind the most is Moses. Is there a point in time? Like we Cumberland Presbyterians like to say, you know, the Lord is not slow in, in keeping his promise and he He allows people time. to. Is there a time in somebody's life where their heart has been so hardened that their time has gone? So like with Moses, mm. for instance, probably after, what is it, the sixth or seventh leg dude was Mm -hmm. done like like i don't so okay so romans what chapter nine where it talks about the hardness of pharaoh's heart god yeah yeah is there
2: so
0: i so i've thought about this was there a time this is being hypothetical i'm sorry this is where i'll get everybody fired up but take some evil evil person hitler you know one of the serial killers or Jim Jones, we had talked about in the past, I don't know if on the was there a time in which they sold their heart out? Like it, there was,
2: okay. Does
0: that That's make sense? That's a great
2: question. It does, because I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm sure most people remember Jeffrey Dahmer was a horrible, horrible, horrible serial killer in Wisconsin, did some terrible cannibalistic things, right? And most people would say that he, his heart was hardened and he's beyond repair. However, in prison, he met a pastor who talked to him about scripture, who he confessed his sins to, repented, and asked Jesus into his heart. I knew this pastor— he was actually, as a kid, he was one of um, our church camp directors um, in the denomination that I was a part of at that time. And I remember seeing the news, um, whatever, the evening news, the, the segment that they did on this. And I really struggled with that because I was probably in late high school at that time. And I thought, I know this man. And I know him to be a very godly man, but how can we say that this guy who did all these atrocious, horrible things can repent and still have a life with Christ, you know? And that was something that I really had to struggle with. So my short and long answer to your question is, I think only God knows and until the point of death, you know, we need to minister to people um, whether or not we, we think that they have a hardened heart because we never know when that turning point may or may not come.
1: I mean, I guess you answered and, the
0: question. yeah.
1: In that. And, and let me ask you this from this perspective. Are you going to, and this is one that I, I've had to ask a lot of people who ask me questions like that. Are you going to be all that disappointed if you get to heaven and find out that Jeffrey Dahmer made it because God saved him? Right.
0: are you gonna are you gonna be mad at god no i guess what i'm trying to figure out in my mind like so both of y'all have just said it the way i think jesus says if you don't repent you likewise will perish i mean like we don't need to worry about that necessarily becky you said it really well when you say who knows it's not our call to know we have a certain and Then Logan, you said it good because, like, what is, is it? It's a cheap in my faith that somebody else gets a little bit. I mean, it's that parable of the worker in, in the vineyard. Uh, and I and I get that, but there,
1: there's a story. Um, and I'm I know the preacher really well that that he saw this happen. Um, I think his name, um, I can't think of his last name, it's but his first name's Anthony. I I, I kind of know him fairly well. I've heard him preach several times, and I've had some conversations with him. Um, But he, Anthony Bowers, that's his name. He's a Pentecostal preacher from up around Harrison. And he said he went and held a revival, a week-long revival in Missouri. And um, about the third or fourth night of the revival, there was a guy who came in, sat in the back, and everyone in the church knew who he was. He he was basically the town. He was basically the equivalent of the town drunk, and he lived about two or three houses down from the church. First of all, it was a, it was a surprise to everyone that he was there, but um, no one really thought much about it. But uh, he he came in, sat on the back pew of the revi- and during the revival, and um, of course, it's a Pentecostal church, and there was a message in tongues that went out. And then there was an interpretation that came forth. And the interpretation said, very soon your soul will be required of you. Repent and believe the gospel. Your time is coming. Well, people filled up. People just went to the altars. Anthony didn't even preach that night. Uh, People went to the altars. That man, though, slipped out in the back. And they found him three days later dead in his house. And they don't know. Of course, you can't know whether or not he took that to heart right.
0: or anything. So that story's always stuck with me. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. I mean, like, life is like that. And if we get caught up, I guess, in other people's business, then we forget our own thing. Like, what, what's going to happen with us? And I think that, let me say, that probably pushes us to that learning from the Scripture witness of, or learning from the Scripture, the witness of the church. Um, because we're in a time of Lent. And one of the things of Lent is is that our time is short. We can't act as though we're going to live forever and then give our spirituality the time after we're done doing all the stuff that we want to do. And Lent calls us to take this command of Christ serious. Repent, for you're not going to be around. You might not have that chance later.
2: No, yeah. I, I read, um, and I'm going to forget her name, is that Nadia... Bowles Bowles Weber. Weber. Nadia Bowles Weber. Yeah. Okay. So she had this beautiful thing about Ash Wednesday and Lent that, and I think she said it was from a pastor early in her ministry once told her that your life is like this fabric, this long fabric that we don't know how long it is. And at one end of the fabric is your baptism. And at the other end of the fabric is your, is your death. And we don't know when that's going to come and Ash Wednesday and the time of Lent is, is those moments where that fabric is pinched together and your baptism and your death meet, because it's a time for us to reflect on our mortality. And we don't know how long this is going to be. And we don't know when our next breath is going to come. And, And that's I think the point of of learning from this is to understand what Jesus was telling us in the scripture and them today, them at that time, was that your, your time is short and you don't know how long you've got. You don't know how long your garden is going to be tended. And so you need to repent or you're going to perish. And that's, you know, a great time for us to, Ash Wednesday is that time to reflect on our own mortality and Lent is that time to really reflect that upon ourselves and how we are in the world and where do we have places that we need to give up and repent from and grow. And, and, and that's what we need to do during this time. So I think it's a great time to do that.
0: Yeah. I I want to read just what you wrote because I think it was good. It says Jesus understood the concerns of those who approached him. They wondered what these victims of murder and, and accident had done so wrong to be punished in such a tragic manner. Jesus reminded them that the real concern should be their own repentance So that they also do not perish. The days were numbered for those who died at the hands of Pilate's soldiers and in the collapse of the Tower of Siloam, just as your days are numbered. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, you hit it right there, and I'm glad this showed up during Lent, actually, because it's a good subject. Um, That brings us to the discussion question from the learning from the scripture section, and and I'll I'd like to hear uh, y'all's take on that. The discussion question we're highlighting this week, why do you think some Christians like to focus on the judgment of God and others? uh, Judgment of God and others. Oh, my goodness, that was terrible. Why do you think some Christians like to focus on the judgment of God and others don't talk or think about it much? That's what I'm trying to say.
2: Mm. From my perspective, I think people don't like to think about their mortality. (laughs) You know, we don't like to think about the fact that someday we're not going to be here. I know when, when I first came into my husband's family, death was not something that we talked about in mine. And in my husband's family, one thing that they did was like on the back of their possessions in their home, like when somebody new came into the family or when the kids were old enough, they would say, okay, take a Sharpie and you go right on the back of something that you want when I die. And I was like,
0: (laughs) why would
2: you do that? That's awful, you know? But it's because in in my husband's family, they recognize they're not guaranteed tomorrow. And they think about that and about what's going to happen with their stuff when they pass away. Because they recognize that they only have this temporarily, that it is not forever theirs. And we don't, as a culture... As, a, as the Western culture, we don't like to think about death. I no, mean, think anymore. about our funeral yeah. process, you know? It is very solemn. It is, okay, we're gonna have the visitation and then we have the funeral and in three days, okay, now everybody's over it, move on and, and go on with your day, you know? And we don't focus on our mortality. It's not something that we often like to think about. So that whole judgment of God, you know, I mean, that's just thinking about that you're not gonna be here tomorrow and we don't do that in our culture.
0: Yeah.
1: There's, there's a good book you, with you talking about that. Uh, there's a good book I need to recommend and I'll put it in the resources as well. It's um, it's called confessions of a funeral director. And uh, the, the guy who writes it is a fifth generation funeral home director. And um, he basically talks about how the funeral industry has maybe wrongly taken death out of the hands of many family members -hmm. Because what we used to do is we use whenever someone would die, we would lay their body on the couch, and we would invite people over, and
0: that that was the wake, that was the funeral.
2: Yeah, it was a uh, communal response. Yeah, Yeah. and children were
0: associated. I mean, when Grandpa died, I I forgot where I read. Maybe I read it from that book, but like, like we they were confronted with death, and it wasn't clean in that sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh,
1: like. Because here's the thing, we call our living room the living room now, but it used to just be known as the parlor. And what we did is we created places where we could take our dead and they could do all that stuff for us. And we call those funeral parlors or funeral homes. And, and because we no longer have wakes and funerals in our own home and in our own living room and in our own front rooms, we call them the living room now because we don't, we don't talk about death there. It's not polite. Right. And so, yeah, I I really think that we don't have a—Lent is supposed to be that reminder that you need to repent now because you're going to die. You don't know when you're going to die, and death is coming. Uh, There's a a song that I love to break out and sing every once in a while at church called Brethren We Have Met to Worship.
0: Yeah, yeah, let that manna come down, yeah.
1: Yeah. And one of my favorite and my favorite verse from the song is death is coming. Hell is moving. Can you bear to let them go? And that's one of my, the reason that's one of my favorite lines is because
0: we don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Right. So yeah, there is a, there is a sanitization of death. Like, yeah. And so I, even in our churches, like how, when's the last time you did a funeral at your church? mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. We removed
2: it from that space. You know, it's now at the funeral home because we don't, we don't like that death in our sanctuaries. And that. that's
1: another thing. We um, Churches had cemeteries around, for a long time, churches had cemeteries around the church. Yeah. And we don't do that anymore. Yeah. When's the last time you heard of a church being built that didn't have a cemetery around it? Yeah, it doesn't happen. That's what I'm saying.
0: We sanitize that a little bit to where... Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. And see, in many of the Lutheran churches, you've got a Lutheran church you've got a K through 12 school fully associated with the Lutheran church and then you've got the cemetery yeah. so what so let's think about it like this you've got if you here's my ideal situation for, for our church my ideal situation would be to have a full k through12 to have a college and then have a seminary and then have a cemetery around the church yeah. why because I want people to know your life from birth to from birth to death is revolving around Christ and his church yes and yes. If, and you don't get that feeling anymore whenever mm-hmm. death is taken out of the church whenever education is mm-hmm. taken out of the church you, you don't get that sense anymore and it's sad and so that's why we compartmentalize things that's why we say oh we can go to church on sunday and then live like hell monday through saturday because our lives are so compartmentalized that we don't even know how to function in a relationship with god anymore i'm gonna preach man <laughs>
0: it is true even the um yeah i mean that even the architecture churches so a long time ago churches you would have the baptismal at the very front near the doors to remind you that you were coming in your, your birth, even your death, if you want to, is there at the baptismal. Then you go Mm -hmm. toward the altar. And so you're moving from outside to inside in the presence Mm -hmm. of Christ. Then also, I mean, Mm -hmm. like I I know what um, Logan's saying there, our church used the Christ candle. Some churches do, some churches don't, but it's lit when people are born. It's lit when people get married. It's lit when people die. And so um, one of the things that I was, um, I don't know, I'm not going to say happy about, but like if the Christ candle was lit, even one of the kindergartners, you know, would come ask me, you know, well, what happened in the life of whoever, right? They'd be like, well, who, what's going on? Well, somebody's getting baptized today or, you know, Miss Mary Jones passed away today, right? But that candle just, right. you know, you had that to where at least there was the presence of Christ in every major moment of your life, right? And And I think death is certainly one that we should celebrate and mourn and celebrate. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think for me, one of the reasons why people like to focus on the judgment of God would be just because it gives a way of justifying themselves. Like, and I'll, I'll say it like this. Um, again, I'm not a Catholic. I don't want any, anybody to think I am. I struggle. Like the idea of, of uh, purgatory uh, it's great to me. I don't think it's in scripture, but I like the idea because there's just something about me being clean and pure and paying for all my sins before I get to Jesus. Sounds good to me. Like, like I, I mean, I know Jesus paid for it all. I know that, but then it's just hard for me to accept. And maybe. If I beat myself up a little bit more, I feel a little less guilty. Mm. About it. I don't know. <laughs> this- there's
1: there's a book you yeah. might
0: like. It's uh it's by Jerry
1: Walls. He's a he's a Southern Baptist actually, I think, and he writes this entire thick book making a ca- making a Protestant case for purgatory. Yeah, C.S. Lewis I'm, was big on it actually. I'm not saying he's right, right. Um, but I will say the books out there. If you want to check it out,
0: yeah, uh, a lot of our Protestants don't get that C.S. Lewis part, but C.S. Lewis was a big believer in purgatory. Um, so i've read a lot of his stuff
1: yeah um i think the reason people either focus a lot on judgment or don't focus enough on it is because I th- well let me start by saying that i think sometimes the reason people people focus a lot on judgment is because they like the idea of people getting what they deserve or at least what they hmm. think they deserve
2: yeah um no point
1: I I think it's terrible whenever someone dies, someone, some notable figure dies, whether it's a world leader, a celebrity, or even Saddam Hussein or whatever. I think it's terrible when someone uh, in the public dies and you get everyone on social media going, good, they deserve to die. and It's good riddance or whatever. You know, here's the thing. Ezekiel chapter 18 tells us that God himself does not rejoice in the death of the wicked right mm-hmm. so if god himself does not rejoice in the death of the wicked and yet you are you're not acting like god you're acting like satan <laughs> like i can't imagine a more satanic thing than doing the exact opposite of what god is doing right no that's a so, good thing and that happens a lot like i said um that's a thing yeah mm-hmm. and then i think the reason people don't think about it enough is because really they're uncomfortable with it, like we've talked about. Uh, And I think part of their uncomfortable uh, feelings about judgment come from a misunderstanding of what judgment is. Mm -hmm. So I think part of the misunderstanding is that, for Christians, is that we think that whenever we get up to heaven, all of our works are going to be laid out, and Jesus is going to judge us by our works. But here's the biblical view of judgment. The biblical view of judgment is that if you are an unbeliever, you will be judged by your works because you had nothing to base your life off of. You, you know, and, and of course, we know you're not saved by works, so if you're not saved by works, what are you? You're damned by your works. So the unbeliever will be damned by their works. The believer, however, will not be judged by their works. They will be judged by the works of Christ on their behalf. And so... If you're a believer, you stand in Christ. Your life is hid with Christ. And what that means is that Christ went went to the cross in your place. He absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf, in your place. And so whenever He rises, you also rise with Him. So you stand under Christ and your works, so no longer accounted for on the day of judgment, but the works of Christ are and his works are perfect. And so there's, for the believer, there's no fear in judgment.
0: Yes. I would also add to that. That's a good, that's the gospel. But I would also add to that, that people think automatically judgment means condemnation of, of a soul where I'd say a more biblical understanding of judgment or repentance is that it leads to a better life. It leads to a wholeness, right? You repent because its it comes to a better end than non-repent. It's not just, not just at judgment time, but here on this earth, right? Like yeah. God is wanting you to be the most fully expressive human being you can possibly be. Yes. And there are certain things that lead away from that. And there are certain things that lead toward that. Yeah. But um, I would... Say also some reason why people don't like to talk about much things is because I don't know if we believe that. Like I don't know. Yeah. In our in a society where like authority res- rests in ourselves, if if something goes against what we feel or even what we experience, then it's very difficult for us to trust enough to say that God knows better, and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if we say that, then we are, and that's the hard part. When, when you're judging something, you're essentially saying you're not right to somebody or that we're mm-hmm. not right. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and it's easier just to skip it. <laughs>
2: yes. Yeah, it does.
0: A lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, well, with that being said, we'll uh, turn to the applying the scripture part and, uh, and it, it's um, really, it's kind of tell us what you're going for.
2: Seems to be you know, it, It's really just kind of a tie-up of all of the thoughts throughout the whole lesson. You know, are are we looking at ourselves? And this is these are great questions to ask yourself during the season of Lent. You know, are we being fruitful? Are we allowing God to work around us? Are we being proactive and studying our scriptures regularly? And are we working with God to take our barren land that we had and make it fertile once more and to to move on? And these are all awesome things to really reflect upon during this season where we're reflecting upon our mortality. Yeah. Um, You know, have we repented? Are there things that God's pointing out to you during the season of Lent that you need to repent from, that you need to work on, that you need to go forward with, you know? These are all good questions to ask ourselves during the season of Lent.
0: Yeah, I like your, like the, the question there at the bottom. Bearing fruit requires work. Watering, nurturing, and pruning. And again, we, we say repentance would be like the... Uh, preparation of the soil it's the mm-hmm. it's not that we make ourselves righteous or we make ourselves bear fruit but through repentance we do ready the soil or we allow the holy spirit to plant the seed um, to to see what grows uh, without repentance then we our, our soil is just hard it's like the
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's like concrete what's going to grow yeah, yeah. Uh, you got to till that soil and repentance is that tilling I guess. Yeah.
2: And it doesn't mean that this is easy. You know, I hope people really think about that, that this is not necessarily an easy process because just like the Jesus said that, you know, he had to put manure around the fig tree. Sometimes when we have to repent, that means there's a whole lot of crap we got to deal with, you know, but it's for our betterment. It's for our good and it's for building that that relationship and understanding who we are in Christ.
1: And for those listening, please don't fall into the trap of thinking that, thinking that because bearing fruit, bearing fruit requires, um, requires effort that you're, that you're taking your salvation into your own hands. I shared this quote last week um, and I'll share it again. Now Dallas Willard says that um, grace is, grace is opposed to earning it's not opposed to effort so here's the thing sanctification in the reformed view sanctification is a work of grace entirely a work of grace now there are some who kind of take a more take a less reformed view and say sanctification is a combination of grace and works and I would I, I see where they're getting that because I think that there is a little bit of effort in in praying and engaging spiritual disciplines. And I think even Dallas Willard himself falls into this trap in some of his books. There is there is effort in in the idea of engaging in spiritual disciplines. But I would argue that sanctification is entirely a work of grace. But the work of grace isn't just just because something is a work of grace doesn't mean you just sit on your butt and receive it. Um you what it does, what it does mean is that you can lean into God's grace.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like for like for example, uh, I use the Book of Common Prayer in my devotions. There's a there's a prayer for the morning, afternoon, and evening. And let me tell you something, I don't follow all three of those prayers. I don't pray three times a day. I probably should. I should probably work on that, but I don't. I'm lucky if I get one of those prayers in a day. But the thing is. What, what, what i have to do in my sanctification is i have to lean into the grace of god and say all right lord here i am it's another day your mercies are new today your mercies are newer today than they were yesterday and here i am again let's work on this
0: yeah i think the way i've always seen it at least the sanctification part like i can't make myself holy Any more than I can make myself lose weight most of the time, but I can put myself in the position for the Holy spirit to grow me. Like Mm -hmm. chances are, and I've used this before. Paul had that instant conversion. Not really. He spent his whole life studying the word of God. Yeah. Right. And then it was God's timing when God called Paul forth. Like, I don't think I can reform my mental habits but I can commit to praying and I can commit to fasting. I can commit to going to church and the Holy spirit uses those holy appointments. It's what Uh somebody I used to know. uh, That's how they understood those um, spiritual disciplines as holy appointments in which the Holy spirit and you meet. So you're not working toward your salvation. You're not even necessarily working to make yourself a better person, but you are giving the Holy spirit place to work on you. Mm -hmm. And and that's how I always understood that. Let me read a
1: passage of Scripture that I think will help us out here. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, Mm -hmm. for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So, you know, we, I've heard people say, to emphasize the works end of sanctification, I've heard people say, well, work out, you know, the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, but it doesn't stop there. Yeah. Work out yeah. your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So what it is, is in, in, in our sanctification, we work out what is being worked in.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, that's good. And, and then I good, would say, yeah. and just to, we're kind of at the, at the end of our, our time, but I would say this, I would say repentance is the beginning of that. I, God doesn't form hard hearts. God first transformed hard hearts to hearts of flesh in order mm-hmm. to receive those things. And, and repentance, right. John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, Paul, James, whoever you want to talk about, it does start with repentance. It's the sure, acknowledgement right. that we are not where we need to be and the only way we can get there is is through God and the Holy Spirit.
2: So.
0: Amen. All right, Amen. any parting shots before we break in next week go into the spring mm-hmm. quarter.
2: Enjoy Lent. Enjoy this time of um, working out and and letting God work through you.
1: Yeah. Oh, come on, Becky. You're not supposed to enjoy Lent.
0: I was about to say enjoying let's <laughs> observe. Let's uh okay.
2: observe. Let's uh,
0: you know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to leave but...
2: it with repent or perish. But yeah, repent or I'm perish. Take there you go.
0: <laughs> All right, my friends. God bless you, and we'll see you again next week.
2: Later. All right, bye. Bye-bye.